If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35, and this is yet another song, the song of Simeon. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we ask for his help and blessing in the reading of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you that you have given us your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us with that truth. All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that we may be equipped for every good work. So speak, Lord, your servants listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of God. Hear it, beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts.
I want to look with you at the Song of Simeon in three parts. First, I want you to notice the Spirit's work in Simeon. Then I want you to see Simeon's blessing of God. And then third and finally, Simeon's blessing to Joseph and Mary, and especially his sobering words to Mary. So the work of the Spirit in Simeon, Simeon's blessing of God, and Simeon's blessing of the parents of Jesus, especially his sobering words to Mary. First, the Spirit's evident work in this man, Simeon. We don't know very much about Simeon at all. This is the only time that Simeon is mentioned in the New Testament. And we don't know much about his identity. Sometimes it's speculated that he was a priest since he was in the temple, but Luke doesn't say that. He simply says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Well, my friends, there were probably thousands of men in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. It's like saying there was a man in Greensboro whose name was Joe. Uh, it's a common name, and it's, it's remarkable. It, it, it's, like, it's like Luke is saying this person would not have stood out in the crowd. He wasn't a household name in Jerusalem. There weren't statues built to him. His family name wasn't on plaques all over town. He was a man named Simeon, and he lived in Jerusalem. He was maybe a nobody in the eyes of the world around him. But listen to how this man is described. First of all, he was righteous and devout. Look at verse 25. This man was righteous and devout. Those two words, righteous, indicates his relationship to people, to his fellow men, to his friends and neighbors. And devout speaks of his piety in his fulfilling his duty to God. He loved God. He was devout. And he loved his neighbor. He was righteous. That's what the Spirit does when he is at work in our lives. We love God and we love our neighbor. That's the work of the Spirit in us. And this man bears the mark of the work of the Spirit in his life. He was righteous and devout. He loved his neighbor and he loved God. And over and over in the New Testament, those things are given as an sort of an overarching description of someone that the Lord is at work in their life. Don't you want to be thought of as righteous and devout? Not really thought of as righteous and devout. Don't you want to be righteous and devout, whether anybody notices you or not? A person who loves God and loves your neighbor. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Naturally, we're selfish, aren't we? Naturally, our tendency is to worship anything other than the one true and living God. Naturally, the, the, our tendency is to look out for number one. But by the Spirit, we love God and we love our neighbor. That's what the Spirit had done in the life of this man, Simeon. Secondly, notice he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's language that indicates that he was looking for the coming of the Messiah. The thing 
that his heart was set on was the coming of the Messiah who was going to be a consolation, a comfort to his people. Uh, Long the people of God had walked in darkness, in captivity. Uh, The children of Israel had been carried off into captivity in 586 B.C., but even when they came back to the land of Israel, things never got back to the way that they had been under David and Solomon. And for the last couple of hundred years, they were occupied by pagan invaders. You know, think, think what it would be like to be in the United States of America and be under the occupation of pagan invaders. That's how the people of Israel felt. And they were looking for God's comfort and consolation in the coming of the Messiah. And this man was looking for that consolation in the coming of Messiah. And it just reminds me, isn't it interesting, Luke begins with a man looking for the coming of the Messiah. What's the last prayer in the Bible? Revelation twenty-two twenty, Come, Lord Jesus. The Advent season, the season of Christmastide, is a season in which we think both about Jesus' first coming and about his second coming. Simeon was looking for the first coming of the Messiah. We should be praying for the second coming of the Messiah. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. People who are who have been worked upon by the Holy Spirit, look for the consolation of the church. They look for the consolation of the people of God. And we, too, like Simeon, want to be looking for the second coming of the Messiah and pray with John, come, Lord Jesus. Thirdly, notice the special revelation that had been given to Simeon. We're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And notice how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this passage. You will remember that from this morning if you were here. In uh, the the song of Zechariah, uh, the Spirit features prominently. And in the introduction to the song of Zechariah, it's made clear that it's the Holy Spirit that enabled Zechariah to prophesy that song and once again we see the Holy Spirit at work the Holy Spirit was upon him verse 26 and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ he had been given special revelation by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah Now, this, my friends, is a fulfillment of something that Joel said in Joel chapter 2. In fact, if you you go back and read Joel chapter 2, towards the end, the last seven or eight verses, the prophecy of Joel 2 is all over this passage. But here's what I want you to see. In Joel chapter 2, Joel said that in those days when the Messiah comes... Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And and who's going to prophesy next in this passage? Anna. So you have a nobody named Simeon, not a priest, not an elder, 
not a civil servant as far as we know, not a big wig in Jerusalem. He's prophesying. And then Anna, this godly woman in the temple, she's going to prophesy. Fulfillment of Joel 2, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Even, it goes on to say, your manservants and maidservants. It's not going to be the muckety-mucks. It's, it's, the, the Spirit's going to be poured out on everyone. It's almost a little Pentecost, isn't it? Because Peter will go back to that same passage in Joel when the apostles are accused of being drunk on the day of Pentecost. And he'll say, no, it's just nine in the morning. We're not drunk. We'd have to work hard to be drunk at nine in the morning. No, no, no. It's the, what, what, what you are seeing is the fulfillment of Joel 2. The Spirit has been poured out. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Well, that's what's going on here. Simeon knows what he knows because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on him. It's been revealed to him. He has received this revelation. He knows what he knows because of the work of the Spirit. And look at what that produces in him. When he takes up the baby Jesus in his arms. He says, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon is not afraid at all of meeting God now because he has seen the salvation of the Lord. Charles Simeon, another Simeon, great Anglican pastor in Cambridge, England last century, said no man can face God in peace without seeing the face of Christ. Simeon had seen the face of, God, of Christ and he was ready to meet God at peace. By the way, you can meet God at peace. If you rest and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. It's interesting in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8, Peter who had seen Christ is talking to Christians who had not seen Christ. And what does he say to them? You love him though you have not seen him. But you will see him. And that's true of us, my friends. We haven't seen Jesus. Peter saw Jesus. Simeon saw Jesus. We haven't seen Jesus. But we will if we trust in him. We will see him face to face. And we will be like him. If we rest and trust in him as he is offered in the gospel. So Simeon even shows us how a good disciple approaches death. And by the way, that's an important part of the Christian life. From the, from the very beginning of your Christian life, you need to be preparing to die. A good, a good pastoral ministry not only helps you live well, it helps prepare you to die well. And, and, and I want to say, I, I often said that to my congregation. I, I want you, I, I would say, help me at your funeral Make it easy on your pastor at your funeral. Live like a Christian. Live like somebody who trusts in Christ. You'll make it so easy for your pastor at your funeral. 
It's true. The, the easiest funerals that I ever preach are the funerals of those who very evidently trust in Christ. That's an easy funeral to preach. As hard as it is to part with a friend, as hard as it is to see a family parted from a mother or a father or a sister or a brother, to know that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord, to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, I cannot begin to tell you the real and powerful consolation that it is in that. And, and by the way, not just to the grieving family, but to your pastor. You know the hardest funerals, though, are the ones where I just don't know where a person is. It's easier to preach the funeral of an unbeliever than it is to preach the funeral of someone where you say, I just don't know where they were with the Lord. So live life to make it easy on your pastor at your funeral. Trust Christ so that we can easily comfort the people of God with a hope that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But much more seriously, all of us need to be preparing for the day when we will die. Because unless the Lord comes... We're going to die one day, and we want to live life looking to that day and be ready to have the kinds of confidence that Simeon said, Lord, you you can let your servant depart in peace now because I have seen your salvation. Well, all of these things are the evident work of the Holy Spirit in this man's life. Peace with God by the work of the Holy Spirit. Longing for the coming of the Messiah by the Holy Spirit sanctification by the work of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are evidences of the Spirit at work in Simeon's life. And there are things, all things that we want to have ourselves. But secondly, I want you to look at the blessing that Simeon utters to the Lord. You see it in verse 28. You know, it's a little bit of a strange scene, right? Because this is not a priest, as far as we know. It's not a government official. It's not someone that Mary and Joseph know at all. And suddenly, there's this stranger in the temple. They've come in to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the male child. Luke has told us that in verses 22 to 24. They've come in to offer the, the sacrifice according to the law of Moses when, a, when the firstborn male child is brought into the world. And suddenly, this stranger comes over and picks up their child. And begins uttering a blessing to God. And here's the blessing. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Suddenly, having heard the shepherd's testimony about what they had heard from the angels in heaven. Now, Joseph and Mary hear from this complete stranger... Your son is the consolation of Israel. Your son is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. My eyes have seen your salvation, O Lord. And and, Mary and Joseph are just looking on Agag. And then he goes on. Look at this. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now here, for the 
first time is this emphasis that Jesus is not simply the consolation of Israel. He's the hope of the Gentiles. He will not only save his people, he will save men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's the glory of Israel, and he's a light for the Gentiles. And Mary and Joseph, look at verse 33, they marvel. (laughs) They're agog. Not only does this complete stranger affirm that their son is the consolation of Israel, but this complete stranger says, your son is the savior of the world. And of course, my friends, just like we saw this morning, that goes all the way back to the Abrahamic promise, doesn't it? Genesis 12, 3, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The the Geneva Bible You know what the Geneva Bible is? It was the very first Protestant study Bible. It was written by English exiles in Geneva in the time of Bloody Mary. Mary Tudor, the Queen of England, tried to take England back into the Catholic fold. And during her time, over 300 Protestants were burned at the stake and put to death for their belief in justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and and the sole final authority of scripture and the the great truths of the faith and so many many Protestants left England and they went to places like Frankfurt in Germany and Geneva in Switzerland where there was religious freedom and while those English exiles were in Geneva they produced a study Bible and that study Bible was the favorite Bible of the Puritans And uh, in 1560, they produced the Geneva Bible, and it, it says something like this about that passage, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. It says, what the world lost in Adam, it recovered in his seed which is Christ. And that's what Simeon is acknowledging here. He's not just the Savior, the glory of Israel. He's the light of the nations. This salvation is in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for the Gentiles. It's a glory to your people Israel. It's it's interesting. Nowhere in the Bible is it said that there is salvation outside of the name of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the Bible is there said to be salvation outside of the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, explicitly, the Bible says there is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. Jesus himself will say in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the Savior of the world. No wonder Joseph and Mary 
marvel at his blessing of God. His blessing of God was just like Zechariah, thanking God that God had fulfilled the Abrahamic promise in the person of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, I want you to see his blessing to the parents. We're told, verse 34, Simeon blessed them. But then then we're told specifically, and he said to Mary his mother. I, I, I don't know how to... I don't know how to read, you know, sometimes there are passages in the Bible, you don't know exactly how to read them. You don't know what tone of voice to read them in. You don't know physically what happened. Like, is the, is the blessing upon them and then he turns to Mary? I don't know exactly how this goes. But in the context of blessing them, he focuses on Mary and he says these words. Behold... This child is appointed for the fall and rising for many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. You know, this, this isn't just uh, a, an upbeat, positive, happy end of the story blessing. Some really sobering words are here. Your son has been appointed by God for both the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Some will stumble on him and they will fall to their own destruction. Some will rise with him by grace through faith. Some will be brought out of the death of sin into new life, the new creation by his saving work as they trust in him. But some will fall and some will rise. That's a sobering thing to say. And for a sign that is opposed, many will oppose him. Now this is long before Jesus' earthly ministry begins. 30 years before Jesus' earthly ministry begins. And Simeon is saying, Mary, I just want you to know this. Many people, and and of course he doesn't say this, but just think about it. The leaders of the religious community in your land, in your people, are going to oppose your son. And... They're going to conspire against him. He has been appointed for their falling. But to those who realize their need, to those who know that they need forgiveness of sins that they themselves cannot purchase, he has been appointed for their rising. For as they look to him in faith, He will save their souls. He will forgive their sins. He will make them a new creation. What a sobering thing for him to say. And then it gets even harder. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. You're going to see your son die for the saving of the world, Mary. 
And you're going to wish that that sword that was plunged into him had been plunged into you. We understand that, don't we? Especially mothers. You'd do anything to keep your children from experiencing pain and heartache and suffering. You'd take it yourself if you could. And Simeon says, a sword will pierce through your own soul. You'll see him die for the saving of the world. And then listen to these words. So that the thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Ah. How you respond to the death of Jesus tells you just about everything. If, if you can look at the death of Jesus and say, I don't need that, then that tells you just about all you need to know spiritually. But believers look at the death of Jesus and they say, he died for me. That death is the most precious death in the world because he died for me. The, the death of Jesus itself reveals the hearts of men. I, I remember sharing the gospel with a person who, who replied to me something like this. That, that, that's all, thank you so much for sharing those words. That's all well and good, but I've lived a good life, and I think I'll be okay. And I thought, I thought to myself on the judgment day of standing before God and saying, well, thank, thank you so much that Jesus died, but I didn't need that. I've lived a good life. Can you imagine standing before God on the judgment day and saying, you know, God, the death of your son was not really necessary for me. Can you imagine what God will say to that? The death of his son unnecessary? If it was unnecessary, oh, what a cruelty. If there was some other way to come to God, surely God would have chosen that way. And God will not hear you say that the death of his son is unnecessary for you. No. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed when you look at Jesus on the cross. Believers will always look at the cross and say, in the cross... In the cross, be my glory ever. Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, to him, who death pursued. And can it be that thou, my God, hast died for me? That, that's how, when the believer looks at the cross 
that's how the believer thinks. It's the most precious thing in the world. And Simeon explained all of that 30 years before the cross. He was indeed a prophet inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he was speaking the word of God, not just to Joseph and Mary, but to you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these amazing songs, songs of the Spirit, songs of inspiration, songs at the time of our Savior's birth and his early infancy. We ask that by that same Spirit, you would cause us to trust in Christ with the whole of ourselves, to trust him only, to trust him according to the word, to receive him by faith, to put all of our hopes in him, and to wait for the consolation of your people in the coming of the Messiah yet again. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.